Hello, I'm Pastor Keith Babb III, and I want to thank you so much for tuning into the podcast of the Way Church of Tampa Bay. Our desire is that as a result of the word, that you no longer settle with simply coming to church, but you become the church. I pray that you enjoy this broadcast and that it challenges you, that it convicts you, and that it changes you. Thank you again, and let's enter into today's message. Somebody say, help my unbelief. Somebody say, help my unbelief. Because watch this. Somebody is waiting on a miracle from God. But it's not because he's limited in power. We're limited in belief. Somebody say, help my unbelief. Somebody maybe say, how do I know? The Bible says if we could just have faith of a mustard seed, we could tell this mountain be thou removed. Somebody say, help my unbelief. God, we need you in this moment. God, to help our unbelief. God, we've got some mountains, God, that we need moved. But God, help our unbelief. God, as the Father approach you, we believe. But help our unbelief. Strengthen us, God, in our faith. Cause us now, God, to go from faith to faith. Father, your word declares that we're overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. God, if you ain't moving our life, God, cause us to see the faith of another and you've moved in their life, God, and let us overcome by their testimony, God, we pray. God, your people are here, God, because we need you. God, we didn't come from us for a psalmist. We didn't come, God, for the worshipers. God, we didn't come for a church or for a preacher. But God, we came for you. So God, speak to our very circumstances. God, every individual circumstance, God, speak to us, God, we pray. For God, if you don't speak, God, we are lost. But God, we thank you, God, that your word declares that the the flowers may fade and the grass may wither, but your word stands forever. God, let somebody know on this morning that there's a word on their life. God, no matter what the enemy comes to do, God, there's a word on their life. God, no matter the trials of the life, God, there's a word on their life that will cause them not to fail. For your word remains forever. God, we honor you in this place. We exalt your name in this place. Now, God, as John the Baptist came as one in the wilderness to prepare the way, God, we want to prepare the way for you. God, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. God, prepare us now, God, we pray. Let this moment etched in history not be in vain, but strengthen your people by your word. God, I pray for your servant, your woman servant that will come and deliver your word. God, I pray, God, that you give her great strength. I pray, God, that you give her remembrance God of all of her studies but God I pray even the more God that she speaks by your spirit cause her to say nothing God that your spirit would not have her to say Father because your word declares let no flesh glory in thy presence we need your spirit God for your spirit is life God we come God needing strength for our lives on today so strengthen the preacher we pray And it's in Jesus' name, every believer that believes, say thank God and amen. Give God a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. You may be seated.
so godly honored this morning for the woman of God that will stand with the word of God on this morning. I, I say this quite often, but I believe that God favors the faithful. Somebody say he favors the faithful. It's not the one with the finances. It's not the one with the fame, but God favors the faithful. I believe we have a woman of God this morning who's faithful. Um, as a pastor, one of the greatest gifts that God could ever give you is a flock that is faithful. And when I think about Minister Rondell, I think of faithfulness. Her desire to not only fulfill the vision of this house and fulfill the assignments that her pastor gives her, but ultimately she wants to be pleasing and acceptable unto God. She's faithful to him. Anybody that knows her journey knows that from a young age, she's been serving the Lord. And I believe God has honored her. She's not in this spot this morning because of her pastor or because some group collectively thought it would be a good idea to have her preach. But God has found her, somebody say faithful. So I want you to prepare your hearts to receive what I believe is a word from the Lord. Prepare your ears to receive what God has to say. So if we could stand to our feet in reverence of this vessel that God has chosen. Somebody, let's give God a hand clap of praise for Minister Wonder. Good morning, waiters. I believe the atmosphere is set for prayer and, and preaching. And so we could just for a few more moments just to give God some praise. Give him some honor. Give him some worship, God. Hallelujah. He abides in the praises of his people. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. We bless your name, God. You're worthy to be praised, God. You're, we honor you. We exalt your name, God. God, we thank you, God. We lift you higher. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Heavenly Father, we come before you humbly. We thank you, O oh God, for the praises that have already been brought forth. We pray, Heavenly Father, that in this hour we would hear from you and you alone, God. I pray, O oh God, that anything that is not like you, anything that you will not have me to say, O oh God, that you would remove it, O oh God, that you get the honor and the glory and the praise from everything that's brought forth, O oh God. That you would help me, O oh God, fulfill what you've called me to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. So before we get started, I just want to give a few acknowledgments first. Uh, thank you so much for my pastor who continues to pour into me and the first lady who encourages me and is always so honest. I'm so thankful for my family, my parents, uh, those who have traveled to be here. I'm thankful for my friends, my clients, my sorority sisters that are here. Um, the Way Church family, I appreciate all of you for being here. So thank you so much. If you can go to the next slide here, our focal text um, will be coming from Matthew chapter 26, verses uh, 36 through 46. 
Um, is there a slide that has that? Just the, no, oh, it's okay, no worries. <laughs> All right, so our focal text is coming from Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 through 46. And so what I'd like to do is give you all just a few minutes, just about five minutes. If you have your Bible, if you can go ahead and open your physical Bible. If you don't have your Bible, I'm sure everybody has a device, go ahead and Google it. Um, we're not going to stand yet because I want to give you all time just to read the passage yourself. There's a lot going on in this text, and so I really want you all to be um, intentional with these five minutes um, to understand what's going on and allow God to reveal to you what it is that he wants you to know in regards to what's going on, um, and then we'll go ahead and read it collectively. So my apologies. I thought we had a slide that, that had that, but um, it's Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. And you can just read it um, using your Bible or just using your phone. If you have Google, you should be able to just Google it. anyone need more time to read the text? Y'all got a moment? All right. Well, if you all can just please stand, we'll go ahead and read it collectively on the screen. Um, you should see it listed here. Matthew chapter 26 verses 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. 
Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. You all can be seated. Amen. Our text, uh, or our title today is A Time to Transition. So currently we are in the month of December and it's the time of year where we really start to consider goals, right? Goals that we've accomplished throughout the years, throughout this year, and consider to go, and want to consider goals that we want to accomplish next year. So when considering personal goals or something God has laid on our heart to do, what we're really saying is we're expecting a change to happen. So let me give you an example. God told Sarah and Abraham that even in their old age, Sarah would become pregnant and have a son. So because of what God told them, there was an expectation for change to happen. Okay, in their old age, they have to start changing diapers. Uh, Sarah had a, a body change, being pregnant. They were expecting a change to happen. So if God has spoken something over our lives or we're looking to do something, improve something about ourselves, like learning a new skill or if you want to start working it out, essentially, we are waiting with expectation and anticipation for a change to occur in our life, right? That's an expected change. We know that this change is going to come. Now on the flip side, if you talk to some of the seasoned saints, a lot of times they'll say, if you just keep on living, and if you just keep on living, you know that life comes with a lot of unexpected changes, probably more unexpected changes than expected changes. For example, if you've spent your whole life with a loved one and they suddenly pass away, that's an unexpected change, right? Or even a pandemic, a very unexpected change for all of us. So if you just keep on living, you know that change is inevitable. Many of you may be familiar with this phrase, um, the only constant in life is change. Now, that statement is not entirely true because God is the only constant in life. However, we can agree that life changes often. If we know that life is constantly changing, that also means that we're also in a constant state of transition. Regardless of where any of us are in, in our life, 
everybody right now is going through some sort of transition. So let's take a look at the definition of transition. So transition is a verb. It means it's the process of changing from one state to the next. So there are two things I want to point out in regards to the definition of transition that we see here. First thing I want to point out is that it's a verb. That means that it's something that you're doing, right? You're doing it right now. When we're talking about the tense of transition, that means it's happening in present tense. Therefore, we cannot discuss transition without discussing timing. It goes hand in hand. All right, and the second thing I want to point out in regards to the definition is that transition is a process, right? Um, there is a change that must take place. There are steps you have to take in order for the transition to happen. Transition is also the intermediate phase between change, right? There's a process to get to that end result. So therefore, since we're talking about that intermediate phase, that essentially is a, a state of the unknown. We know that a change will happen, but we really don't have a way to know exactly how that change is going to happen, when it's going to happen. Only God has that information. And let me give you an example. Genesis chapter 3, we'll go to Adam and Eve. God told them, do not eat from the tree of knowledge or they will die. They know that if they eat from the tree, there's going to be a change that happens. But they had no clue of what that intermediate phase would be. And you can tell because after they ate, they were hiding because they found that they were naked, right? He's, God is calling Adam and he's hiding because he just realized that he's naked. They knew that a change would happen, but they had no idea what that intermediate phase would be. So oftentimes, God reveals to us what's to come or a future assignment, but when we're navigating that transitional phase, God got all the tea. Somebody tell, tell your neighbor, God got all the tea. He got all the tea. When you call your homegirl and she's and you want to know, you know what's going on, God got all the tea. Okay, he got it. Not our friends. We don't have it. God got all the tea. He's the only one who knows all the intricate details of that transitional phase. Since we are, are always and constantly in a state of transition, I'm sure we can all think about a transition that's currently happening in our life. Transition can feel like an unclear phase. However, God has given us clear instructions on how to navigate it. Now, we'll soon deep dive into our focal text, but before we do that, let's first establish that in this text, God was, or Jesus, was going through a transition. This, and this, this is a very sacred, sacred moment that was happening. We find Jesus praying before he is crucified. He knew that he came to earth to die, and the crucifixion was soon about to happen. So let's first take a look at why the crucifixion, crucifixion is significant. When Adam and Eve took a bite of the tree, sin caused man to be separated from God. And so John uh, chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So because Jesus loved us, he, because God loved us, he sent Jesus so that if we believe in him, we can live with him forever in heaven. 
God, it says God gave Jesus. That means Jesus was a sacrifice. There was a process that Jesus had to endure so that we could be saved. So in this text, in this moment, Jesus was transitioning from alive to temporarily dead. Um, And then he was transitioning at that moment. He was one with his father and he would then transition to being temporarily separated from his father. Jesus was going through a transition. And in this text, he provides the ultimate blueprint for how we should handle transition in our own lives. Let's take a look at verse 36. It says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. So while in transition, the first thing that we should do is pray. And prayer is pretty easy. All it means is communication with God. So anyone who has tuned into the current sermon series at The Way, The Secrets of Seeking, we learned that we were created to be in communication with God. In transition, we've already established, we have no idea what that transition process will look like. God got all the tea. So we must be totally dependent on God. And Jesus reiterates this in John chapter 15, verse 5. It should be on your screen. It says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so in this text, remain means to stay in wait. And fruit is results done in partnership with God. And so to be successful, we cannot do anything without God. He reiterates this, depend only on me. Therefore, prayer must be our priority. And when we pray, we should acknowledge who God is and what he says. Let's take a look at how Jesus prayed in the text. We see that in verse uh, 39a. It says, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. And so if you think about what that looks like, that's a kneeling body posture. Kneeling, the definition here, that of reverence, obedience, and respect. When we examine this definition, it has everything to do with heart posture. Everything to do with heart posture. Therefore, our body posture does not always have to be that of a kneeling posture, but our heart posture should always be that of reverence, obedience, and respect. Therefore, as we communicate with God, we should honor who he is and be obedient to what what he says. When we understand that we know nothing and God knows everything, obedience should become a tad bit easier. Now, I don't preach for anywhere from anywhere I haven't been. For me, obedience can be challenging. I like to do things my own way, and sometimes I need a moment to temporarily process like the feelings of whatever situation's going on. So thinking back to my childhood, I really felt bad for my mom because like she just had this headstrong kid. I just like to do things my own way. But in maturity, it's taught us. Yeah. <laughs> maturity has taught us and taught me that I know nothing. So I have to be obedient and reverence what God is telling us. 
We're going to move down to verse 38. We see Jesus' transparency in this moment and how he emotionally handled his transition phase. Verse 38, it says, Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. We know that Jesus was God and human. We know that he was born from Mary. The New Testament starts out detailing his birth story, right? Because he was God and human, Jesus experienced many of the things that we experience, like emotions. We see here in the sacred moment, he was transparent with his disciples, and his actions showed how he really felt about having to die. It says here, he was saddened to the point of death. He felt saddened, and he was uh, sorrowful at this time. Now, in verse 39, if we move down, we're privy to what he actually prayed. And verse 39 states, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, in this text, when he's referencing to this cup, he's referring figuratively to the portion which God allots. And so Jesus, Jesus, as he petitions, he wants to know if possible, he doesn't want to be separated from his father because that's what's going to happen as he passes, as he is crucified temporarily. His tone here is still that of obedience and reverence. He submitted fully his emotions to God. His heart posture is wholehearted submission to his father's will. And so the question becomes, how many times do we pray, Father, let your will be done, yet not as I will, but as you will? But the issue is, I know sometimes when I pray that, do I really mean that? Do I really know what that means for God's will to be done and not my will to be done? When we uh, pray that, we really should be prepared to fully submit to our Father's will, not our own will. It's not God's will that should change, but it's how we respond to our, His will that should change. Regardless of how we feel about it, we should transform and submit to God's plan for us. Therefore, God's confirmation should lead to our transformation. And so another critical question that we should ask here is, what hinders you from submitting your emotions and your will to God? We were talking about this in poor group recently, because when you find that thing that hinders you from submitting your emotions and your will to God, that pinpoints your area of growth. Because essentially what you're saying is, God, I'm going to follow you unless I have to die for you, right? God, I'm going to follow you unless somebody pops off at me. Now I, I need a moment not to, 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 to handle it my own way, right? That's the area where you have to grow in um, when you find what's hindering you from submitting your will and your emotions to God. So we are to allow God's word to transform us. All right, so, so far, 
We've mainly focused on Jesus' actions and what he was doing in this text. Now, the same sacred moment is recorded in the book of Luke. So we can take a look at Luke chapter 22, verse 43. It says, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. When we are in a phase of transition in obedience to God's will, God is obligated to respond to us. Took the words out of my mouth. That's good news. <laughs> that is. Listen, I like security. That's security. God is obligated to respond to us. And he reiterates this. In John chapter 15, verse 7, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. When we're in a phase of transition, we should be anticipating God to respond to us. We know that Jesus was sorrowful and troubled by the transition that he would take place. We see here that God did not respond by removing the difficult task, but he sent an angel to strengthen him. And so we have this fact, God does not always respond by removing a difficult situation. A challenging situation does not mean that it's not in God's will. God's will for our life may not always feel good to us, but will always bring him glory and is for our good. We love to quote this next verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And uh, Charlotte's laughing because she was all in my message last week um, via conversation. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so we really have to consider what this means. So good here in the Greek, it describes what originates from God and is empowered by him in our life. So good used here means that it's good whether it's, it seemed to be so or not. And in the words of minister and training Sharla, good means to prefer what God prefers. So it has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with him. It is all about his purpose. God's response is contingent upon his will, not our will. In times where we feel like transition is really weighing on us, or we don't think we're equipped to handle it, God confronts us and um, God, God comforts us time and time again in his word. He said he'll never leave us nor forsake us and he's close to the brokenhearted. So he's always there. When we're in his will, we ex- we should expect that God is going to respond to us. Not how we want, but how he wants. So so far, we have clear instructions on how to navigate transition. When discussing a transitional period, as stated, we have to factor in time. So let's deep dive into the idea of time. So in this text, if we, to give you an overview of what time looks like here, the first thing that Jesus did was pray. The, fir- the first time that Jesus found the disciples sleeping, he almost minimized the length of time that he spent, they spent praying. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? 
I was only gone for one hour, y'all. Y'all couldn't even stay awake that long. And when you consider one hour of time compared to 24 hours or one week, one hour is a very short period of time. This reference also provides a visual contrast between humanity and God's supernatural capability. This short period of time, they weren't even able to stay awake. But Jesus felt like that timing, um, excuse me, for this time period, they felt like it was long and Jesus felt like he was very short. The second time Jesus found them sleeping, he left them, right? As pastor been preaching, God don't waste his breath. And we see it here. He don't waste his breath. The text says he left. He came back. They were asleep. He left. He went again to go pray, right? He went back into prayer. And as the text closes, Jesus comes back to the disciples a third time and again wakes them up. This time he woke them up. In Matthew uh, chapter 26, verses 45b through 46, we should see here, are you still sleeping and resting? That's what he told them. Look, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. What he's confirming here is that God's appointed time had come for him, for Jesus to transition, for the crucifixion um, to happen. It's also in the statement that we notice a change of pace in the text. For most of the focal text, if you read it, there's a slowness about it. We can tell that it happens pretty early in the morning because the disciples were so tired, uh, they could barely keep their eyes open. But by the third time Jesus came back, he started to speak to them expressively. And you can tell by the exclamation points in verse, 30, uh, verse 46. The tone flows from Jesus praying and waiting to an urgency. The time that God appointed for him to die had come, so there was an urgency for Jesus to do his father's business. So I wanted to spend just a few moments providing just an overall view of how time changed in the text. But let's kind of broaden our foundation of what time really means. So the definition of time here, it's a measurable period during which an action or a condition exists. And when I looked up this definition, it really was measurable for me, right? And I'm going to tell y'all why. Time is something we're taught early in life about time. We, we first learned it in the natural. There's this narrow view of time that we really have and that we learn. Um, in pre-K and kindergarten, uh, we learn how to tell time on a digital clock and an analog clock. As we grow, we become familiar with our school schedules. Uh, during our school years, time feels dictated by our schedules. As we transition to adulthood, oftentimes we feel like our time is dictated more by our job than anything. You can tell by the internal instinct that we have to measure our work productivity. And now I hope her job isn't watching, but at least three times a week, my sister calls me and she's like, man, I ain't do nothing for these people's job all day. And all I'm saying is... But there's an internal instinct 
to measure her work productivity depending on her timing at work. And as soon as Friday hits, we start counting down the time to go back to work, right? Yeah, that's why I don't have my full-time job no more. Yes, you know, I got to do that. But I get it. I, I was there. I get it. So we can tell we have this internal instinct to measure our work productivity so it feels like our time is contingent upon our job. We are really taught extensively how to navigate time in the natural. Um, when we said that time is measurable, we also learned that we use hours, we use days, we use years um, to measure time, but sometimes we still improperly measure time. That's why I said, when you look at this definition, measurable, I was like, what is measurable? Although one hour is 60 minutes, and that holds true, I'm pretty sure, everywhere in the world, we all experience time differently. For example, if you've ever been to Times Square, and if you haven't, it looks just like the movies. Every second of every time they're going and going and going, they're utilized, they're always on, in a rush, very fast-paced time. Now, um, if you've ever been to the Bahamas, where my family's from, oh, y'all know, because y'all always there, y'all know. Yeah, time means nothing. Nothing, nothing. You, you know, you, they tell you they, they're around the corner. That could mean 30 minutes. That can mean an hour. Time means nothing to them, right? Talking to my... <laughs> Talking to my dad yesterday, he's been to Europe, he said clocks are everywhere, right? Time means everything in Europe. So when we look at time and that it's measurable, we, we, we don't always um, experience it the same because of, you can just tell based off where we are. Time means something different everywhere you go. Time is something that feels in excess when you're young. You think you have all the time in the world. Oh, I got time for this. I got time for this. But when you're old, it feels like you don't have enough time. You know, oftentimes you say, I, I wish I had more time. Time is something that you never get back when it's gone. Time is universal, but we experience it differently. And many of us measure it differently as well. We think we know about time, but we really have no idea. There's so many quotes, experts, websites that try to teach us how to manage our time. If you wake up early, you can have a productive day. There's so many things that people try to do to teach us about time. But as we see here, we know absolutely nothing about time. During our time of transition, we should be a good steward of our time, but more importantly, we are to lean and depend on the God who created time. Allow God to reveal his appointed time to you. To do that, we must understand that his measurement of time is much different than our measurement of time. For one, he's not defined by time, yet we are. We get a brief glimpse into his time. In 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 8, it says, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. 
And so when I'm reading this, I kind of cracked up a little bit because in conversation, my sister's like, man, if God tells you to do something, if God uh, puts a calling on your life or tells you to do something, sometimes it feels like 10 years that it's going to happen, right? You think sometimes that it's going to happen immediately because of the timing that we're used to, but God's time is totally different. What the Bible also tells us about time is that God dictates the timing of everything. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. God dictates that. He's the only one that knows the end from the beginning. So if we go back to our focal text, verse 46, after praying a third time, we really saw that change in tone in the text. We know that God's confirmation should lead to our transformation, and it also applies here. When God confirms the time that he has set aside for his will to be done, we should do so with urgency, regardless of how we feel about it. Our time on earth is limited. We may feel like we have a lot of time to do God's will, but we really don't. We have a limited amount of time, so we should do it with urgency. And so as I close, transition can be challenging because we have no idea what's going to happen. Only God knows the details of that intermediate phase. The good news is when we're in transition that's God-ordained, he, there's grace there. In this sacred moment of prayer, before he is to be crucified, Jesus knew what was to come and encouraged his disciples to pray with him. They fell asleep. Jesus graciously encouraged them in uh, verse 41. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Willing in this verse means eager, ready, not weighed down by pre-existing resistance without excuse. And so what God is saying here is that there is grace. He knows that we are weak, but because of the God that lives in us, we are then strong. He knows our shortcomings and he gives us grace. So I pray that you all are encouraged to transition when God appoints you to transition and manage your transition phase using the blueprint that God has given us. And now me, I'm not teaching. As I said, I don't teach from somewhere I haven't been. Many of you know that next month I'll be moving back home to Delray Beach. I know Cody said, I know. <laughs> moving back home to, to Delray Beach. Um, and one of, my, one of my struggles is, as a triplet, I've really struggled with being an individual and, and having my own independence, right? For 18 years, my sisters and I, we shared everything. And the reality is, a lot of people will never see me as someone other than Rodell's sister or Randell's sister. And so after being in this place of living independently the past 12 years, moving home... I don't get the opportunity to live independently anymore, right? And so what God has said in, in this next season for me is that collaboration is, is, what going, is what's going to allow me to progress. And so that's a big transition. 
I'm also here uh, struggling and processing this difficult transition. What God has confirmed is when we transition in his time and where we're in his will, if we make prayer our priority and allow his word to transform us, then we're operating in grace. On our own, transition is a very unclear phase. It's a very unclear state. But it doesn't have to be. God has given us all of the clarity that we need in life to navigate life transitions. We're all in a different phase of transition. We're all in different points in our life. Some may be dealing with a transition that may be more difficult than others. So let's go ahead and just pray collectively. If everyone can stand, if you feel the need to come to the altar, you can go ahead and do that now. But I want to go ahead and just um, pray for transition um, because transition on our own can be very challenging. Very challenging. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Help us, God. We need you, God. As you've confirmed in your word, we cannot make it without you. We have to solely depend on you and you alone, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Dear God, we come to you thankful for the word that you've provided to us. We pray, oh God, that as we are always in a constant state of transition, that we will remember this blueprint that you have set for us, oh God. That transition becomes easy or it becomes bearable when we know that we're in your will, God. And so help us to transform to what you've called us to do, for who you've called us to be. We know, oh God, that it's not, it's not you who needs to change, but it's us that needs to change. How we process and how we think, God. And we know that we can only do that through you. And so, God, we appreciate you for confirming your word, for giving us strength for the journey, God. We pray, oh God, for those who may be struggling with any transition they may have, whether it's a transition in their body, whether it's a transition in a relationship, God, I pray, oh God, that you would help them. Confirm your word to them, oh God. And that they would be transformed by what it is that you are speaking to them and calling them to do in this season. Hallelujah. And we pray, oh God, that when times may get difficult in transition, we pray that I pray that we will remember to cast all of our cares and all of our burdens on you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. We thank you, God. Hallelujah. And we sincerely pray, oh God, that in each of our lives, that your will will be done. That we will be okay with your will that's done. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. I pray, oh God, that as we leave here, that we would examine what it is that hinders us from doing your will. And that you would help us to transform to what you've called us to be, God. Thank you, God. And so we bless your name, God. 
we are appreciative of this time spending your word and this time learning thank you God we pray oh God that you'll be glorified in Jesus name we pray amen